Hi, listener. Thanks for tuning in to the Good Trash Genrecast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, review us, and subscribe to us on iTunes, and find us at all those other social media usual suspects. Thanks again. We got a Black Hawk down. We got a Black Hawk down. Down, 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 down. Good Trash Genrecast. So, dead? That's right. How about alive? Hmm? You want to know? I got these scars. Can you spell it? D J A N G O. The D is silent. I have got to give me one of these. What are these? What are you doing with these? Okay, I get it. Who gave you these? Who taught you about these? Learned it from you, okay? I learned it from watching you! If it bleeds, we can kill it. It's your last chance to walk away. Kidding, it's five against one. It's three against one. How do you figure? Once I take out the leader, which is you, I'll have to contend with one or two enthusiastic wingmen. The last two guys, I always win. Are you, uh, you done this before? It's getting late. Remember. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we apply film studies analysis to films that'll never, ever find their way in a film studies course. This week's film is Jack, and ordinarily I make a ridiculous uh, possible uh, synopsis at this point, but the ridiculous thing is what the movie actually is. It's Robin Williams, who's actually 10 years old. It's a movie. That That's the movie. Uh, I don't know. So there you go. Uh, we're going we're gonna to conclude our, our weirdest marathon ever, You Don't Know Jack. Uh, in which we uh, find a way to review and talk about movies with the word Jack in the title by talking about a movie whose title is Jack. And is the weirdest fucking movie. It was a big mistake. I don't know why we did this. Um, yeah, I regret everything. All the things. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for everything. I'm sorry if you listen to or watch this movie to listen to this episode. I apologize. Well, there you go, dear listener. Let's identify these disembodied voices here gathered around the table. To my right, ma'am, if you would. My name's Alexander Bohannon, and remember, a Madonna is a Shirley Chim- Temple without the cherry. That's accurate. Thank That's you very story. much, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. Uh, to, my, to the next right, if you would, sir. I am Arthur Gordon, and losers say what? I don't know. Thank you very much for that, though, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Uh, all the way down at the end, if you would, sir. My name is Dalton Stewart, and Dustin has Zachley disease. It's where his mouth... Smells exactly like his butt. <laughs> very good, very good. My name is Dustin Sells, and you guys cussed. You're going to be in so much trouble. I can't believe it. Yeah, by Big Daddy Sells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, it'll be my op- object to be the uh, school marm of this episode, um, but I look very little like Jennifer Lopez. Unfortunately. That's uh, very sad. He's got her butt, though. I do have her butt. Bubble. Bubble butt. Bubble, 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 but moving right along. This is not a review show, dear listener. This is an analysis show, and that means there will be spoilerific spoilerages, and you will discover um, whatever happens at the end. I would again, I don't have a made-up thing because it is what it is. He dies. <laughs> Correct. Presumably. Presume. Well, don't we all? Act one out of one. Act yeah. accordingly. So there you go, dear listener. Let's uh, give these quick uh, thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. They'll be um, directly preceded by a synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema. And after that, spoilers ahoy, you've been warned. Uh, Arthur Gordon, if you would, deliver that synopsis, Mr. Voice of the Cinema. Because of an unusual aging disorder that has aged him four times faster than a normal human being, a boy enters the fifth grade for the first time with the appearance. Of a 40-year-old man. Yeah, because Progeria is funny. Man, I did some research on Progeria after watching it's this movie. It's so sad. It's fucking depressing. I've seen a documentary about Progeria, and it is heartbreaking. It's it's it, it's real sad. Yeah. All righty, let's begin with those thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews. Mr. Dalton Stewart, if you would, sir. I, I mean, where do you want me to start? The fact that this movie is about progeria and it's hilarious, 
the fact that this movie has Bill Cosby in it, which makes everything unwatchable now. Yes. The fact that I, I don't even know where to start. It's just it's just a weird movie. I don't know whose idea this movie was. I and I don't know why the studio thought it was a good idea to make it. There are moments that work. Uh, the reason there are moments in this film that work are because of Robin Williams and Diane Lane, because they are both impeachable and can do no wrong, and their careers are golden, and even the shit movies that they've done, because they've both done shit, um, are better for having them both in them. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 inconsistent tonally. Uh, it just goes along, and then it ends. I, I, I don't know what to say about this movie, man. I, I really don't. I didn't care for it. I, I just... The second cause show, shows up, man, it makes the movie infinitely harder to watch. Um, it's it's a blessing that he's in as little of the movie as he is. Uh, this is the first time I've watched anything of Cosby since um, you know the since what had happened had happened. I guess since since um, it was like yeah since since yeah. we've learned the 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 horrible truth. I mean it it's it's been no surprise or it's been no secret in show business that uh, Cosby was a womanizer. The secret was that he was a rapist. Um, so that's – it just makes the movie really hard to watch. But even even Williams can't save this man. I mean, he does his best, too. Um, he, he does a better job playing a 10-year-old in Hook, and that movie, for all of its flaws, works a shitload better than this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, I, go, I mean, we did an episode over that not long ago, and, yeah, I, far more interesting and far more enjoyable than this. I, I – I, I get that's all I got. I hope somebody else has something more articulate to say because this just feels broken. And the fact that the man that made the Godfather and Apocalypse now made this is just bonkers to me. It's not right. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart, um, Mr. Arthur Gordon. If you would, sir, I, I do like the premise and the thematic issues raised, and that's about all I'm going to give this movie. Yeah, um, I, I it's poorly, poorly executed, and it just it it's forgettable. It's ultimately just a, a thing that happened that I watched. Williams does some fine stuff, but I think he really slips more into his act and his routine a lot than uh, keeping the kid mode thing going. I hate the soundtrack. Uh, with what the is bow? It's garbage. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's it's forgettable. Nothing of a note is accomplished or extenuated. Uh, sorry, Dalton, but this is definitely a thumbs down. Nothing, nothing to more articulate to add. That's unfortunate. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what do you think? I will leave you with this. This film is currently competing for my Hebrew hammer of the year, and I'm almost certain that it is going to take it unless we watch something anything worse. I give this half a star on Letterboxd. I hate this movie. I hate this movie so much. Everything about it made me feel desperately uncomfortable, and adding Bill Cosby to the mix was like putting a shit cherry on top of shit whipped cream. It just is bad. All of it is bad. I never want to see this movie again. And I'm hellaciously surprised that this movie is in such heavy cable rotation. Well, it's not this anymore. Is, well, when I was a kid, like, I swear you couldn't turn on TNT or whatever yeah, without no, this, seeing this movie. This is I, 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 because it didn't do great at the box office. And that's why films that do poorly at the box office or poorly uh, received critically on their initial release often do get a second life on cable because they're cheaper license. Uh, Shawshank Redemption didn't become the beloved, you know, modern man movie classic that it is today until it got heavy rotation on cable. Ditto for It's a Wonderful Life and A Christmas Story. Yeah. I I almost want to retroactively take my Hebrew hammer from last year and give it to something because I didn't really watch any bad movies last year. It was just like I didn't really like the thing. But I hate this movie so much. And I just can't say anything more articulate than that. Hopefully uh, Dustin will be able to say something that's smart sounding. Not much chance of that. It's bad. It's real bad. It is now. It was a commercial success um, in the box office. Did make its money back, although it didn't make as much as they hoped it would. Um, but I will never forgive Francis Ford Coppola for this film. I will not ever forgive Bill Cosby for other things. I will not ever forgive the over-the-top manipulation of this film. I will never forgive Fran Drescher for her chortle and her snort. I will never forgive you guys for making me watch this film. I will never forgive it. the screenwriters for writing a joke in which Robin Williams buys other 10-year-olds pornography. Yes! yes! The deserves This movie is so bad! 
Jeff, don't watch it. Don't. I do have to say, though, he does make a, uh, a choice in his um, verbal presentation where he raises the timbre of his voice just a little bit. He, okay. And I think it's a good choice. Yes. I, I, so there you go, dear listener. Now you know our biases on pro and con, and there's very little of the former and a lot of the latter. Uh, let's move on, though, and uh, let's do what we do. It's time to get down to business. It's That's right, dear listener, and the business in question is analysis. We're going to bring some of that to you right here and right now. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what analysis bring you? Today, I'm going to talk to you about psychoanalysis and the Oedipus complex, because what else could one talk about when watching this movie? Um, This was the only thing going through my mind the whole time. As a reminder, the Oedipus Complex is is named after the Sophocles play Oedipus Kings or Oedipus Rex. To summarize it for you briefly, Oedipus has a a prophecy laid on to him by by a prophet that he will kill his father and marry his mother. He doesn't believe the prophet, and of course, he did exactly that, due to a tragedy of farcical proportions. Freud well, then, it's, he, it's already too late. He's already killed his father and married his mother by right. the time he finds out about the prophecy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. Um, Freud took the concepts from this masterpiece of Greek tragedy and explained them into a psychoanalytic theory, which concentrates upon a child's desire to have sexual relations with the parent of the opposite sex, i.e. males attracted to their mothers, females attracted to their fathers, of course. And, and, this, and keep in mind, Freud was writing in a time of which there was a very black and white binary gender identity etc so. he was also doing a lot of cocaine and that too in the film jack jack re- himself represents the entire oedipus slash electro complex that he's he um that supposedly happens to each and every one of us early in the film jack jumps into w- bed with his parents literally separating his mother and his father and of course his mother and father are in a too uncomfortable state of undress to be um kind of like coddling their child like i don't know if i walked in on my parents when they were together in such a state of undress even at that young age i think my parents would probably turn me away um but that didn't happen that's what i do yeah (laughs) well uh so the mother and father um implicitly have sex in jack's own play refrigerator box this is presumably so the father can kind of um symbolically mark his territory as as the parent's own bed seems to be tainted by the presence of their lumbering 40-year-old son. The, the parents in this tale actually do not have names, merely the names mother and father as you see in the credits, which obviously furthers the symbolism here because Jack is the only one with a name and they are just pieces of his Freudian identity. The little boys in the treehouse contemplate their own um, growing manhoods, boners, erectors, etc. when asking each other the question, do our mothers look like this when discussing the penthouse dirty mag? Um, Because they seem to be awakening to the idea that no one is supposed to, uh, that people are supposed to move outside the family for this kind of sexual desire. Jack has no idea idea regarding any of this, partially to his parents' unfortunate sheltering and just, you know, the uncomfortableness of what he symbolizes, and he doesn't know what they're talking about. As Freud discusses, whenever people go through stages of sexual development, he's kind of totally fucked, to put it <laughs> in an academic way, because as men and women are fixated in the Oedipal and Electra stages of their psychosexual development, can become mother-fixated or father-fixated, and that's exactly what happens here, because he doesn't know of the sexual response that exists outside of his own family. So this is clear in the example of the teacher and and the key uses of of the color red throughout parts of this movie. Because Jack obviously moves from his own mother in in the complex. He he moves on to a a mother figure, mother fixation. So one of Jack and J-Lo's first interactions outside of the classroom has Jack lying in a tunnel that is too small for him, not unlike a birth canal. It is then discussed at length J-Lo's attraction to the red gummy bears and the red gummy bears only, mind you. Then, of course, Jack provides her a bag of red gummy bears later on the film. 
Red, of course, has a huge tie to menstruation and fertility as symbolized throughout numerous cultures. And of course, there's that whole, I don't know if this is like a real thing or someone just made it up, but it sounds really good. But the reason why a lot of um, the whole why women wear lipstick and why the lips need to be really red is because it is similar to um, the color of a vulva whenever it is engorged with blood. Um, of course, then J-Lo and Jack both wear shades of red on their last day of class, con- continuing perpetuating um, the sim- symbolism. And of course, nothing further keys you in on this symbol than a Madonna's a Shirley Temple without a cherry, um, which are both red drinks with and without maraschino cherries. And of course, cherry meaning the virginity of the female. Um in conclusion, this film definitely personifies the Oedipal complex, and of course, watching this on screen provides an interesting psychoanalytic study that I never want to watch again. I want to tag a couple things onto there, just some, tag uh, some more evidence to kind of support Alex's theory because she's she's really hitting the nail on the head. Um, going back early, we see this kind of tension between Jack and the father uh, when he's teaching him to shave. And Jack's trying to be very independent and take control, and his dad's not wanting to let go. So there's a tension there. And then we move in, um, and we've talked about this. Uh, Alex talked about the relationship between him and the teacher. Uh, but we see, I mean, that's a very nurturing relationship. Uh, almost as soon as she meets him, she's rushing to comfort him after he falls. And so there's that instant uh, nurturer uh, being developed between the two. And we don't see that same affection granted towards Dee Dee, played by Fran Drescher, who's physically thrusting herself upon Jack. Jack's more attracted to that that nurturer, that, that right. mother figure. Most but also, she is a mother. She is, but she's more disengaged. Yeah, yeah. Like not, she's not doing the mother fix uh, the mother like archetype in that. You know, she'd be more like the maiden or something. You well, know, the no, the sexually the, the crone. No. Like, or oh, well, what? Oh, there's I'm, a whore in there too. Somewhere. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, the harlot, yeah. what have you. But um, you're right about that for sure. There, there's also that really weird thing. Do, do you guys remember the carrot photo shoot? Is his dad shooting like dirty mags, or is he just in advertising? I, I, I think he's just in advertising. Yeah, I don't remember that. And, part. Yeah, but well, I mean, you know, six call, of one, half a dozen of the other. Yeah, they call. Remember, they call the father, and he's on site at a, a oh, photo yeah, shoot, yeah. and he's like not telling Jack, "Oh, I'm shooting half naked ladies on carrots." He's just like. I'm shooting a photo shoot about carrots. Yeah. And like there are naked ladies on the carrots. Probably the father is having that need fixed through them beside outside of his own wife because, you know, she's invested so hard in her own child. Jack's response is absolutely hilarious. Wow, Dad, that sounds really boring. <laughs> it's just really funny. And then, the, you know, nothing really cements this idea in your own head than, you know, the after the teacher, J-Lo, and Jack are interacting in that birth canal sequence, he's, um, like, they the little girls start singing, you know, teacher and so-and-so sitting in a tree, you know. Like, it's obviously that they've been coupled so hard by even just the rest of society. And it, I never really get the vibe that J-Lo would have gone for it, but it looks like she has to keep reminding herself that this is not what is presented to me. I, yeah. I just got yeah, a yeah. vibe that, like, there, there was a vibe that wasn't entirely, absolutely not, that is disgusting. I, I don't know. I, I feel like... I mean, she did what she the best she could. I, I, I think I thought she did fairly well. Uh, especially the scene where he tries to ask her to the dance. Spot on, Alex. I think you did a great job. Thank you. Yes, thank, thank you. you very, very it much. We're full of material. <laughs> yes, it is It is. It is dripping with Freudian imagery. Uh, Mr. Dalton Stewart, what analysis bring you? The single most interesting moment in this movie, and probably one of the only interesting moments in this movie, is when Jack is at his desk in school, and he is thinking about his what he wants to be when he grows up essay, and he says... What do I want to be when I grow up? Alive. The only interesting thing that the film Jack manages to do is have a conversation with a child's discovery of his own mortality. Um, Because 10 is about the age where you realize you're going to die. Either a pet dies or a grandparent dies. 10 is about the age. I I think this is a calculated decision on the choice of parents uh it might be a subconscious decision parents get a dog get a puppy when their kid's about a year old and when their kid's between 10 and 12 they got to bury the puppy and that's how you learn that you're gonna die do parents get like a manual i'm looking at you i don't think they do i don't think they do it on purpose i don't 
Uh, I think it happens purely by accident. But it seems most people's first encounter with death is the death of a dog. Uh, for normal children, I would agree. My children have gone to funerals since they were yeah. born. Well, well, and well, preacher swag aside, you know, I, I don't like talk about myself a whole lot on this show, but uh, I'm not much older than the character Jack when my uh, own father died um, in real in my my own life. So, um, you know, I, I was forced to get acquainted with mortality fairly young. So. I find I just it's something I find interesting about this film, and it's a subject matter I find interesting. Uh, and and try as I could, I couldn't find a whole lot of academic reading. There are a couple of books about the childhood response to the discovery of mortality, um, but there isn't a whole lot of uh, academia on that. And I was fairly surprised. I thought if I looked up you know childhood discoveries of mortality, I would be inundated uh, with material. Um, mostly I just kept finding worldwide stats on, uh, childhood mortality rates. Um, so I, I was pretty shocked that not a lot of people have written about it because it's something that I find very interesting, um, is how children process grief and how children process the knowledge. I mean, cause that's the second thing. First, you have to process that everything's going to die, which leads to the secondary discovery. Oh, everything includes me. Um, and again, I talked about this on Hook. Um, I do not like how often we, we try to put childhood up on a pedestal as being the greatest time to be alive because it's terrifying. Um, learning you're going to die is the single most horrifying thing, and the fact that we have to do it when we're young and we don't know what to do with that existential dread is really horrifying. Um, so uh, it was just interesting to me that in this gigantic clusterfuck of a movie there there managed to be a, a moment of that is very insightful that is the idea uh, of jack and again they have to hammer it home with the goddamn butterfly butterflies should not be in movies butterflies never come across as anything other than heavy-handed in my opinion they're never used sincerely either and i'm pretty sure i've said that on this show before um but they, they never come across as symbol when when they are used as symbols, they never come across as anything but heavy handed. So not only do we have to have Jack saying, I want to be alive when I grow up, he has to see the butterfly that he saw early hatch from its chrysalis. He has to see it die on his windowsill. Which is just stupid. But I do find it interesting and and again, because Robin Williams is uh, was an amazing actor. Um, and he has such pathos that he does sell the idea that this 10-year-old realizes he'll be lucky if he makes it to 25. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I, I do tire of the film that says life is for living. I mean, there's just there's just yeah. so many of them. I, I appreciate life-affirming films as much as the next person. I like my life-affirming films a little bit more like The Grey, though, uh, which I know, Dustin, you disagree that that movie is life-affirming. But, yeah, I my argument... I think you made my argument just now for the gray, um, because life is for living movies seem to be the bulk of movies that exist. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I just I, I, grow, I grow weary of them. I don't believe I made a point for you for the gray though, but we'll move on. I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> well, I mean, but you would agree that there should be a lot more films that say life is for dying. Yeah, which isn't which it doesn't have to be a bad thing. I know that sounds very bleak and, and nihilistic. I don't mean it to be. I find. That notion in of itself to be very life affirming, you know. The clock is ticking; like, make the most of it. Well, you know, Jack Nicholson's line in The Departed. You know, he's walking out of the bar, and the Irishman says, "You know, he asks, how's your mother?'" And, oh, she's on her way out. He says, "We all are." Act, act according, accordingly. You know, fucking great line. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I want to do in terms of analysis, and it as, does tie into the symbol of the butterfly uh, a bit in Dalton's analysis as well, is to talk about um, cinema as um, as Mark Cousins calls it in the uh, first part of uh, his story of film series uh, as an emotion emotional machine, and uh, that's stolen from a title of uh, a book by um, Ed S. Tan, which is called "Emotion in the Structure of Narrative Film: Film as Emotion Machine." And uh, it, this this film is a pr primo example of of a film that does exactly just that. I mean, obviously, the human face itself is um, a, a conveyor of emotion. Uh, Robin Williams, the choice to cast him, and also Diane Lane, as you said, they carry so much pathos. And so, um, the reason why actors make it 
the reason why certain actors are cast over other actors is because of their ability to convey emotion in the human face. And uh, that cinema itself sort of creates that emotion. There's the Lev Kuleshev uh, experiment in which a very, very famous Russian actor is uh, making the same sort of Buster Keaton uh, blank pose, but when you put it next to food, he's hungry. When you put it next to a coffin, he's sad. When you put it next to something else, he's happy. And there have been... Yeah, you know, like full-on psychological studies done over this, not just you know interesting art think pieces. I mean, you you, you see what you want to see, right? And, and again, that that is something that happens. Uh, the metaphor itself of the butterfly, because it's beautiful and it doesn't last very long. Again, it, it when you use something like that in film, and these sort of films always make use of heavy-handed bits of symbolism. Uh, of, life is for living movies. Yeah, life is for. Li- I, I I mean, I'm looking at City Slickers right now, which well, is a movie I love. Uh, I was I already have brought it up once, but um, Shawshank Redemption, sure. which is a film I like a lot. I mean, I think it's very good, um, but it's very heavy handed. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know they they do these sort of things, and the reason why they do them is because it registers with us emotionally. Um, and as far as the uh, cinematic use of the device, there is a frequency of uh, bits of sunlight obscuring faces and or objects uh, where the sun is being caught by the camera. And again, it just gives this idea of the flickering of the light. And again, it moves us in a weird way emotionally. It prepares us for sort of the payoff moments where uh, Jack will say something um, very, very you know old for his age, or um, someone else. Uh, Bill Cosby gives his speech, which uh, failed and fell on sort of fell leaden for me. Again, just knowing context and history. But having seen this film in the cinema uh, when it was released, uh, I remember it moving me. And I remember why it was moving. Also, the use of music. Uh, I think it's wonderful uh, what happens uh, when music is used very well. This particular film makes use of sort of a carnivalesque bit of music when all the boys and and classmates are standing outside. Can Jack come out and play? And just using that line, uh, the delivery of the speech about who I want to be like when I grow up. I want to be. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but I want to be just like Jack. You know, again, just absolutely just, you know, buckets of tears and uh, those kind of things. Because what they're doing there, particularly, is they're they're putting statements of profound truth in the mouths of children who would never say these sort of things, who who are not articulate in this way. Um, My children have said things that have moved me, but um, it was almost their inarticulation at those moments that moved Mm. it. What cinema does, uh, when it's well-written dialogue, um, they approach it that way. And because of the sort of incongruity um, of what we're hearing based on what we're experiencing, we do that uh, emotional response. The same thing happens in a horror film. You see a bunch of girls, um, you know, high school girls gathered around, they're laughing, and then you hear that bit of synth score and that ominous drone, and the incongruity there begins to cause us to be afraid, right? And so similarly, Jack does those kinds of things, and it is absolutely a set-up emotional manipulation machine. Uh, we could look at John Williams and his scores. They do the sort of same sort of things, but this is not a John Williams score. But yet, uh, every time those uh, high-tinkling sort of bells play uh, and those moments of either wonder or of sadness because of Jack's mortality, our heartstrings are tugged. And what filmmakers do and what film producers do is they understand that that's how this works. And so what we see in this film is exactly a, a creme de la creme example of just how that sort of manipulation works in cinema. So there you go. It, uh, dear, there you go. It, there you go, dear listener. You now have heard our analysis, and we now come to a time in the show where we must render a verdict, which I don't think will be very trouble to give, and uh, relegate this film to the trash in which it belongs and uh, pick our else's, rather no else's, Instead, I ask you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say? Show for trash, else, or instead? I have to say trash it. Uh, it just doesn't do anything worthwhile. Coppola Williams have both done much, much better work. I give it three Fran Dreschers hitting on 10-year-olds out of 12. Uh, instead, you go watch Hook. Uh, Dalton mentioned that it works well here. Uh, Williams is doing a lot of the same stuff, and so I, I, it's a much better film than this. Um also watch E.T., I think, uh, kind of pairs well here. Uh, another obvious pairing is Curious Case of Benjamin Button, David Fincher's film, I think, which works at that whole age complex type thing. I think it's fun. Uh, a, a recent movie I just watched which deals with the uh, the themes of parentage and that mortality 
uh, th- knowing that the, the child is probably going to die, and that's Maggie, uh, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then finally, you finish off the night by watching Tom Hanks in Big, uh, which plays with similar ideas and just has a lot more heart and joy in it. Thank you very much. I like those picks very much. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what say you? Show for trash, and what are your else's or insteads? Super trash. Like, I wish I could light the trash can on fire after putting it there. Um, let's see. I will give it half of Bill Cosby out of possible 500 Bill Cosbys because he only deserves um, he deserves to be cut in half. Haha, <laughs> maybe. I'm just kidding or not. I don't know. Um, if you want to see other films that are similar to this film, I really like that hook pick. I think that's that is the... If you want to watch Robin Williams being childlike, that's the movie to go for. Um, it's maybe a little long, but I think that movie does everything this movie tries to do and utterly fails at. I, I would also... Like yeah, I, the, like, I like Hook a lot more after watching Jack. Me too. It's interesting and, that we wa- decided to watch them within the same calendar year. Yeah. Anyway, um, so don't watch this movie. Watch that movie. I do... Benjamin Button, yes, perfect. Uh, I mean, I guess Billy Madison, maybe? Like, I saw that in the Netflix, like... Q being like, oh, mildly related, I suppose. Um, it seems like it might also. What is it with 90s people doing these? I'm going to be a kid in the 90s films. Big Billy Madison. Big is 80s, band. but late 80s, yeah. Film, like. No, I agree. What um, is the deal? Yeah, it's very strange uh, sort of cycle in film. Yeah, anyway, so um, watch those, and I'm sure their recommendations are also uh, way better, too. Um, check out. Thanks very much, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Show for trash? Elster instead. Uh, trash. I didn't have to, No, there's no debate about this. There's no question about where this film belongs. It is bad. You should not watch it. There is no reason to revisit this. It is not easy to get a hold of. Trust me, we all had a excruciatingly hard time trying to find this movie just to watch it, and it's not worth the trouble. Not even an ounce of the effort. Uh, I, yeah, no. Hard pass. I give it one Michael McKean wig out of a possible ten. Um, you should watch... I mean, I think Benjamin Button is not only the most obvious... Uh, example, but clearly the the far better choice. And again, uh, you know, breaking the Finch rule real quick. That's a great movie. Ben, ben, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button's a fantastic film. Fincher and, rule doesn't count if it's like very obviously related. Yeah, to, exactly. Yeah. I'm just I'm just saying like clearly you should watch that instead. Um, a recent film that deals with you know Jack is trying to be this end all be all statement about growing up. Watch Boyhood, obviously. Like, do not watch Jack. Watch Boyhood. Watch Benjamin Button. Watch Billy Madison if you're in the mood for a laugh because it's a far sight funnier than this movie is. Plus, it's got Bradley Whitford in it, and I mean, what more could you want? Just don't watch Jack, please. Do yourself a favor. I'm I'm not kidding. Um, e- even if e- even if you're like, oh, you're kind of curious, don't. It is not worth your time. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I also will never forgive this film. Therefore, it belongs in the incinerator, as we have all said, shot out into space and then, you know, blown up by the sun. Uh, maybe blow up the sun in the process. Uh, it really just needs to go away. Um, though, again, what I would say is, is an else, uh, everything that's been said so far, I would definitely hardly agree. I would say uh, a couple life worth living kind of movies that'll just sort of motivate you American Beauty. Also, uh, a bit of, uh, I must say, City Slickers. I love Billy Crystal. I think that movie's stellar. It's good trash. In fact, I'd like to see it happen on the show at some point. And uh, I'll even go ahead and um, Old Men Facing Death, um, Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman in the Bucket List. It's a fun movie. Are, are, are better, despite being those kind of movies you don't really care I don't really, for. I'm, I'm kind of bored with them, but they're fun, and they're better at what this is trying to do. Gotcha. And so those are my recommends. Dear list, we'd love to hear yours and uh, more about what you're thinking. And you can do that via those magical means of social media. Mr. Arthur Gordon, you know anything about that stuff? Yeah, you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast. One word. Uh, we've had a few likes, and shares, and things over there. So uh, uh, keep up with that. You know, uh, uh, comment on stuff, talk to us. We enjoy all that good stuff. Um, also, uh, you can find us on Google Plus. Uh, email us at gmail, good trash genre cast at gmail.com. And just generally stay connected. We, we really like to hear from you. So thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Dalton Stewart, do you know anything else about social media? Yeah, we're on Twitter. 
Correct. That's true. Yes. Uh, we're, we're at good underscore trash. Find us there. Uh, lots of retweets and favorites this week. Always love that, guys. Really appreciate it. A um, couple of new followers. A good friend of mine, uh, David McIntyre. He's on Twitter, at BlamDavidJM. At mentioned us in response to an article I posted. It was an interview Quentin Tarantino did with Vulture, um, just about the hateful eight and a little bit about his career as a whole. Uh, shared that on Monday. And uh, he commented, said, hey, thanks for that. That was a good Monday reading. Uh, other than that, a couple of new followers, lots of uh, favorites and retweets. Uh, a lot of people got a kick out of some of the pictures uh, Alex took while we were recording last week uh, for Pirates of the Caribbean. Kirsten Thurkelston apparently also has that Pirates of the Caribbean medallion necklace that I also have. Did yeah, you she... also buy yours at Claire's, Kirsten? I have to know. Anyway. So, yeah, that's what we got coming in from Twitter this week. I will mention one piece of feedback that I got directly from the Pirates of the Caribbean episode in which one Caleb Masters um, ate a peach in defiance. And um, Heck not, yeah. he's dead to me. See, I love peaches, Caleb. So you being you is, is very, very good. You're all dead to me. You know, I can uh, eat a peach for hours. There you go, dear listener. Now you know what's going on and how you can connect to it all. Let's go on and move on in this show because I'm looking at my watch and I realize it's now time to play the game. This week's game is Interesting Departures from Directors. That's right. Interesting film choice departures by interesting directors. Brought to you by Jack. Jack. Can you believe that Francis Ford Coppola directed this fucking movie? I cannot. Thank nope. you. Thank you. No one can. Thank you very much. No Mr. one remembers that Coppola made this movie. No, I, I'd forgotten. Well, let's start with you, Dalton. What do you say? What's your picks? Uh, well, the first one that came to mind uh, for me was, and again, we've already mentioned him uh, on this show, uh, and that's Paul Thomas Anderson's uh, film Punch Drunk Love. Um, I mean, you think about his career. Okay, so here's here is his filmography. Uh, Heartache, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, There Will Be Blood. There's definitely a standout in there. Um Hard Eight is not near. I mean, all of his movies, all of those movies, with the exception of Hard Eight, are over two and a half hours long. Um, I take it back. I think there will be Bloods just over two. But my my point is, one, it's only about an hour and a half. It is much smaller in scope than any of his other films. Um, it is just a love story. It is just an extremely well done romantic comedy. And he even said, "It's coming off Magnolia." Um, I was friends with Adam Sandler. We'd come and talking, and I decided I wanted to make a romantic comedy, and I thought he'd be great for it. And that that was it. He he just got done making Magnolia, which is this gigantic movie. Um, was probably had his wheels spinning on there will be blood a little bit, because um, every filmmaker I know is directing like two movies ahead. Um, I, I guess I should say the two filmmakers I know are directing two movies ahead. Um, so. I think it's a fascinating departure for him, and it's one of his best movies. Um, I really very strongly believe that. Um, but it's a very interesting choice for him in his career, which is an amazing career. It really is. I finally caught up with Boogie Nights. Uh, somehow I've never seen it, and I'm really glad I did. Uh, it's quite a movie. Uh, Hulk by Ang Lee, which is weird. definitely more in the yeah. Jack vein of departures in that it's a great director making yeah. a really not particularly good movie. It's just a weird choice for him. Uh, I haven't seen it in years. I should probably revisit it to see if it's any more interesting now. Um, now that superheroes are, you know, coming out three uh, three time each year. But um, it's a weird movie, man. Weird movie. And it's weird that Ang Lee made it. Very strange. Uh, finally, uh, John Landis, uh, who directed National Lampoon and the Blues National Lampoon's... Um, oh, my God. Animal House? Animal House. Jesus, thank you, Arthur. I completely had a brain fart. Animal House, um, Blues Brothers, directed American Werewolf in London. Now, it would not be his last horror movie. Uh, he did a vampire movie. He directed one of the segments on the, um, well, tragically and famously directed a segment on the Twilight Zone movie in which some people were killed in an onset accident. Um, but, you know, it would not be the last time he did something in the thriller or horror vein, and it is still a very funny horror movie. But it's not a horror comedy. It's just a horror movie with some dark comedic beats. Um, very interesting departure for him. Uh, and I love American Werewolf in London. I think it's uh, an absolute masterpiece. Uh, and I hopefully we'll get a chance to do it on the show someday. 
but it's, you know, you look at the rest of Landis's career, uh, particularly leading up to and right after that. Uh, but even his career as a whole, I mean, it's a very you know kind of strange choice. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what are your picks? Uh, I'm going to start off. Most of mine kind of follow some, a similar thread. They're all kind of indie uh, directors who did odd choice movies. Uh, my first one is Psycho from Gus Van Sant, the the almost shot for shot remake. That of, is a strange uh, yeah. Hitchcock's uh, film. Van Sant was kind of this uh, indie darling, and he made this kind of very big budget type of movie that was really well promoted and very commercial. And it was just an odd choice. It's not a very good movie either. It's just lacking, uh, especially in comparison to the original. Uh, Van Zandt doesn't really bring anything new to the to the picture. Uh, next, I'm going to say the Coen brothers, uh, who in the 90s kind of did this thing where they did some like mainstream commercial comedy stuff, uh, Intolerable Cruelty. Mm-hmm. Matchstick Men. The Lady Killers. Just really uh, no, odd. wait, Matchstick Men wasn't them. No, that was... Uh, that was somebody else that was a weird choice. Yeah, that's another weird... Ridley Scott, it no. Tony Scott? I think it might have been Scott. Tony Scott. But yeah, Lady Killers is what I was actually yeah, thinking yeah. of. Uh, so they, they kind of did these big commercial studio-type movies that weren't very well-received. It was, just, I think, just kind of out of their element uh, insofar as the kind of stuff that they do. Uh, but finally, I want to mention uh, Jack Black in School of Rock, directed by Richard Linklater. Yeah. That's a Link- very odd choice. Linklater's uh, done a couple of studio movies. Um, it. Mostly is just School of Rock and um, Son of a Gun. I can't remember the other one. He's done like one or two other studio movies, but they yeah. were all... Few and far between. Yeah. Um, weird choice for him. It's yeah. a fun movie. Yeah, like, I, I think School of Rock a is a A very solid fun. family comedy, but yeah. super different. Linklater's kind of a hard guy to pin down, though, because I mean, he did Scanner Darkly, too. Yeah. Which isn't, you know, it's it's a departure for him in that it's sci-fi. I mean, he yeah, did yeah, yeah. Waking Life is that same rotoscoped animation thing. So he'd done that before, but the fact that it's a science fiction film is kind of a weird choice for him. Yeah. But yeah, very strange choice. He decided to do a family musical comedy. Yeah, it was yeah. it was weird. But I do enjoy it. So I'm not I'm not not bashing him on that. But so those are my those are my picks. Thank yeah, you very a, much. A departure doesn't have to be a bad movie. Yeah, no. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're great, like uh, Punch Drunk Love or American Werewolf. But they are surprising when it happens. Yeah. Yes, I got you, uh, Miss Alexander Bohannon. What are your picks? Um. Well, did you guys know that Kenneth Branagh directed Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit? I did. Yeah. That is weird. It's so weird. It uh, is. It's not that, a period piece at all. That isn't that delightful. I Nor mean, Shakespeare. Well, he directed Thor, which is less of a departure because it does have some of those Shakespearean elements. That Asgard thing. Doth yeah. Mother Know Thou Wearest Her Drapes. Yeah, and right. the fact that he made Thor makes Jack Ryan colon Shadow Recruit less weird. But it's still it's pretty still, yeah, fucking We should have done Jack Ryan, Shadow no, Recruit. No, we shouldn't have. No. No, no. we shouldn't have. Yeah. No. The, the reason we didn't do it is because Arthur told me we shouldn't do it. Oh, okay. Well, did you guys also know that Terry Gilliam of Monty Python fame directed The Brothers Grimm from a couple, a few years ago? I actually saw that in theaters. I don't think I realized that at all. Yeah. Not no, good. Not good. Uh, yeah. I know, yeah. Again, another, as Arthur mentioned, uh, you know, very... Vision-driven uh, auteurist directors sometimes will make uh, studio movies, and it sometimes goes. Like, sometimes it goes well. Guillermo del Toro goes well for him every time he does it. Um, goes well Gilliam, for us. Not so well. Not so yeah. much. When Gilliam makes a studio movie, it's it's a, like wah, weird, wah, it's wah, very strange. Wah. Okay, and then lastly, of course, Spielberg did the Terminal because you know he's a studio man, and that was Tom. That is Hanks an odd choice. I mean, had was... an very. Was, Interesting accent throughout that. It's a so. small movie, yeah. Yeah, it is. It really it's is. A weird. I mean, it is a weird choice for him. Yep. Anyway, those are it. Good directors making bad shit. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, first of all, I want to uh, mention uh, Joe Wright and uh, making Hannah. You know, yeah. W- which is yeah. insane. I can't believe I forgot about that because I talk about Hannah on the show movie. all the time. God, I love that's that movie. A good movie. It's a great movie, but it's nothing like the period pieces he typically makes. No. Which is very bizarre. I also want to talk about the uh, the Disney picture David Lynch made called The Straight Story. Yeah. Which is all about a guy um, who is no longer uh, allowed to drive. He's lost his driver's license, so he gets on his riding lawnmower and drives across the state to go see his brother who's dying. Yeah. It, it's a G-rated family film. Yeah. <laughs> Directed by David Lynch. Directed by David Lynch. Uh, and it does not look like a Lynch movie. Which he calls his most experimental film ever. <laughs> <laughs> which, for him, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Stretching I itself. just have such a bug-eyed look on my face. It's, right yeah. Just... It's the weirdest thing ever, right? Apparently, it's very good. Yeah, it's great, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a fantastic film, yeah. Uh, finally, um, not a, such a, much of a fantastic film, although it's got Meryl Streep in it. Music of the Heart, directed by Wes Craven. 
say? What? Uh, what does it say? It's about a music teacher. Weird. Is that it? Is it yeah. See, weird? I was thinking the little kind of weird. I, I was I thinking like a vampire. I was thinking I vampire. That's. I was gonna say Wes Craven to me. I didn't know about that. I would have said his weirdest departure was uh, Vampire in Brooklyn, which is weird. Well, it's, it's still horror though. But yeah, it's, but it's a it's horror Eddie comedy Murphy. starring Eddie Murphy. But no, Music of the Heart is not a Wes Craven movie. It's so bizarre. That's really weird. And it's not great, but you know, it's got Marilyn in it, so I'm mad. That's hysterical. I want to. I want to mention one more honorable mention. Sure. And that is uh, the fantastic action movie. Skyfall, as directed by Sam Mendes. Yeah. Sam yeah, Mendes. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, which, again, well, I don't know. Mendes did um, Road to Perdition, which has got some action elements to it. Yeah. But, it's... but yeah, I mean, it is a straight-up, big-budget action yeah. movie. You're right. It's it's weird. He's doing uh, the next Bond, though, which is exciting. Yeah, it is. I'm excited. Uh, moving right along. Uh, thank you very much uh, for those picks, everyone. I think this is an interesting conversation to be held on the interwebs. Dear listener, please, please give us your feedback there. Uh, let's move on and conclude the show, as we always do, with what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. So, dear co-hosts, I'm hoping you're bringing the fire right now. We didn't have a whole lot of enthusiasm about Jack, but maybe there's something that makes you enthusiastic. I ask you first, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what say you? Uh, not really. Not very fired up at all this week. I did begin watching Orphan Black on oh, how is Amazon that? Prime. Uh, it's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, it's a fun concept, I think, and so I'm, I'm a few episodes into the first season. And I'll keep watching. It's got me kind of hooked. I'm not on fire for it, like, completely, but it's... Uh, interesting story, and I've heard a lot of good things about it, so I'm excited about that. Uh, the other thing is, I did watch uh, the WWE's weekend of shows Woo! this past weekend, and so some fun things happened there. Indeed, uh, really nothing too noteworthy, but uh, Bailey and uh, Bailey and Sasha stole the show. And oh so my god, that was so that. good! So that's 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 about all I've got for you this week, Dustin. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, are you fired up this week? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I finally have started. Uh, or resumed my rewatch of The Wire. Um, took a long break from that uh, after we uh, recorded our uh, episodes over it for um, our TV marathon last year. Um, I finished the first season over a couple of months, finished the second season in about a month, and then took probably a three- or four-month break. Um, finally, I've resumed my rewatch of The Wire, though. Um, so about halfway through season three. So good. Man. Uh, the third season of The Wire is amazing. I mean, the th- three and four are just some of the best. Every every single second of that show, I keep th- I can't help but think how great it is. Um, a video game just got released uh, called Until Dawn. It's a PlayStation Four exclusive that PlayStation kind of buried. Um, I had not heard of this game. Me neither. Yeah. Um, so it's a more of an interactive movie. Um, it's kind of a if you played Heavy Rain. Uh, or beyond colon two souls. Um, it's kind of similar to that where it's, you know, quick time events. It's mostly about your story choices. Um, it is written by Graham Resnick and Larry Fessenden, who you will know uh, for having worked on The House of the Devil, The Innkeepers, and Stakeland, all films we've done on this show. Um, yeah. Larry Fessenden was the producer on all three of those. Um, uh, Resnick, uh, I believe he was a sound designer on those, and I think he worked in some other production capacities. Indie movies like that, most people have more jobs than the one they're actually credited as having. Um, but they wrote this, the script for this game, and it is kind of a um, very subversive, very um, trope-subverting uh, slasher game that you play through. And your choices decide who makes that alive, how much of the mystery you'd solve. It's only about a 10-hour game. But they say that there's thousands of endings, and unless you play the game, you know, three or four times, you'll not really ever have a very clear picture of the totality of events. So, really, it just came out. Uh, we're recording Tuesday. It came out Tuesday, August 25th. Came out today, um, and then that kind of game. I, I love the game Heavy Rain on PS4 or PS3. Heavy Rain's some good stuff. Heavy Rain's great, and apparently yeah, this is kind of along those lines. Um, so I'm quite curious to check it out. It's by Supergiant Games. It's not by the studio that did Heavy Rain. But uh, it stars Peter Stormare and Hayden Pantiera, uh, a couple of other uh, notable uh, young actors playing, um, you know, 
voicing and giving their likeness. So, again, it's very much a movie that is also a game. Uh, lastly, something in my own life that I'm excited about for myself. Um, I have been invited to perform at the 51st Street Speakeasy here in Oklahoma City uh, doing stand-up comedies, uh, which uh, we don't really talk about that on this show. That's the thing I do sometimes, listener. Um, so the second Thursday of each month, 51st Street Speakeasy does a comedy show called Divine Comedy. Uh, Madison Allen, who's a local comic here, invited me to be on that show. So uh, September 10th, uh, 51st Street Speakeasy, uh, around 8 or 9 o'clock. I'll be there telling jokes for about 5 to 7 minutes, uh, opening up for some people that are way funnier than me. Um, but yeah, that's the thing that I'll be getting to do, and I'm really excited about it. And I'll probably keep mentioning it until that show has happened. Excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart, for that information. Miss Alexander Bohannon, are you fired up? Oh, also, you guys are required to go to that. Yeah, I know. Fair enough. I was going to. Um, yeah, I'm fired up. Uh, obviously, this weekend was WWE. We talked about the wrestling bit. Uh, the Bailey sasha match. Incredible match. Um, match of the weekend, for sure. Um, I wish they had put that the last show, of the match of the card, though. That's re- That was pretty disappointing. That um, The latter match between Kevin Owens and Finn Balor was still pretty good. Very cringeworthy. So many ladder injuries. But... Um, I really felt like that match had this emotional driver behind it that it just was hard to beat. And then some, I watched SummerSlam. I watched all SummerSlam. And, it, and <laughs> Arthur's like nodding his head at me because it was just that boring. It was so boring. And I, it's okay. I did it with friends, and that's fine. Um, besides friends, I went to Tulsa to do the SummerSlam and Wrestling Extravaganza. We also watched Steven Universe, which is a cartoon that is incredible and and it is thought-provoking and moving and subversive and it's about aliens and fantasy and love and relationships and there's also lots of coded sex and lesbianism throughout it which is very interesting um and it tackles like these really big um life um things in in a way that i think is really digestible to understand you sometimes you can't believe it's a kid show not that it's like being graphic or anything um, it's just that good. So please watch Steven Universe because that is a show that desperately needs t- your eyeballs. And finally, um, last thing I'm fired up about is, A, this is the second year in a row that we've recorded a show on my birthday. So today is my birthday. Happy birthday, Happy Alex. birthday, me. Thank you very much. Well, there you go. Thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohan. I'm only fired up about one thing. I, I'm doing a thing that I typically do, which is a sort of a rewatch of The West Wing, and that show's real good. And uh, we have a good episode on it. Hey, uh, uh, we did that the same month we did the uh, the Wire. Yeah, we did. That's correct. Yeah. God, and, the, the West Wing is so good. And so I'm doing that, but also, you know, all of those characters have a fake Twitter account, and uh, I especially appreciate following Josh Lyman on the Twitter. Uh, and his Twitter handle is at Joshua Lyman. That's L-Y-M-A-N. Read recent, us his last few tweets. Uh, well, the most recent, um, you know, we had the recent panda births that happened mm-hmm. and uh, recent other political stuff. And his one recent tweet says, the National Zoo needs to stop breeding anchor babies, um, you know, in response to immigration. That's this is the funny. sort of humor that we're talking about coming out of this. Uh, very, very, very good stuff. That's a very, that, that, those Twitter accounts are for about 5,000 people. Yeah, they're wonderful. On the planet. That's yeah. so funny. But uh, anyway, uh, that's a lot of fun, and you should follow him there. Um, we're going to move on and conclude the show as we do. We've got to tell you about next week. Next week, we're going to be watching a film called Mean Girls. So we have a new student with us. She just moved here from Africa. Welcome. I'm from Michigan. Great. I'm 16, but until today, I was homeschooled. And then it was goodbye, Africa. And hello, high school. Hi, I'm Katie. I'm Jess. This is Damien. Watch out! New meat coming through! This map shows the school's central nervous system. The cafeteria. You got your cool Asians, burnouts, jocks, the greatest people you will ever meet, and the worst. So you've never been to a real school before? Shut up. Shut up! I didn't say anything. Plastics. Who are the plastics? They're teen royalty. That's Karen Smith. She is one of the dumbest girls you will ever meet. I'm kind of psychic. Really? It's like I have ESPN or something. Gretchen Wieners. She has two Fendi purses and a silver Lexus. And evil takes a human form in Regina George. She knows everything about everyone. That's why her hair is so big. It's full of secrets. We want to invite you to have lunch with us. Regina seems sweet. Get in, loser. We're going shopping. 
your house is really nice. I know, right? Being with the plastics was like leaving the actual world. <laughs> and entering girl world. Have you seen any guys that you think are cute yet? There's this guy in my calculus class. His name's Aaron Samuel. <gasps> no, no. That's Regina's ex-boyfriend. Ex-boyfriends are off limits. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. Gretchen told me that you like Aaron Samuels. I could talk to him for you if you want. Really? You would do that? You're so hot. Why would she do that? She's a life ruiner. I knew how this would be settled in the animal world. But this was girl world. All the fighting had to be sneaky. I want to lose three pounds. They're these nutrition bars my mom used to lose weight. It won't close. It's a five. You could try Sears. Why are you eating a Caltein bar? What? They make you gain weight like crazy. Who does she think she is? I like invented her. So there you go, dear listener. Now you know what film we're going to be looking at. Take a look at it. Take a look at Not Jack. Anything but Jack. Take a look at that and have a conversation with somebody because films are so much more than just an hour and a half spent whilst eating popcorn. It's about conversation. It's about life. It's about the universe and the world in which we live. And that's what makes watching them really, truly worthwhile. And we will see you all next time. If it meant that Jack never existed, would you erase Francis Ford Coppola's entire career? Mm. No way. No, That's no. just curious. Everyone has to have at least one dud. I yeah, think. yeah. I mean, you can't you can't bat a thousand. I but man, he disagree. He, like dis hardly hardly disagree. I okay. think I think this is the like the instance where he usually bets bets a bets a thousand. He bats a thousand, but this time he like showed up to the baseball field totally naked and with no gloves or no equipment, and then like was probably high on LSD. Like, hey man, hey man, whoa, watch that shit because Doc Ellis showed up to a baseball game high on LSD and threw a no hitter. Watch it. That did happen. I don't Doc know Ellison. What that means. Uh, Doc Ellison baseball. was a baseball player in the seventies and uh, famously pitched a no hitter while high. Well, on but acid. like it doesn't matter if he shows up to the field totally naked with no equipment, like, yeah. which is this movie and being high. Hey, who's who? What what directors have batted a thousand? I can't think of one. Kubrick. Kubrick. No, I don't. We well, don't like Spartacus. Spartacus is still Spartacus good. Spartacus is good. It's, it's but it's it's not. What about Dave Venter? Yes. Um, here's the thing. Everybody I'm going to say is bad at a thousand has made lesser movies, but their right. lesser movies are better than everyone else's movies. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson. I would say even Hitchcock hasn't batted a thousand. PTA but has batted a thousand easily. Tarantino. Tarantino is batted a thousand easily. I think. What about a lot of people don't like Death Proof though? People don't give Death Proof enough credit. They don't understand it. They I don't think. get it. Yeah. I, I strongly. Um, I will. I mean, I'm not ba- bad no, on Death Proof because I saying, like it a lot. I, I, there, you're correct. There are a lot of people that would say that's his only misstep, and I would say they're very wrong. And I, if anybody listening to this right now uh, thinks they can make the argument why Death Proof isn't good, uh, I encourage you, one, 
to go listen to our Death Proof episode first. And if that doesn't change your mind, then um, you can hit me up on Twitter. We'll talk about I'll, it. I'll send you a link to an, a podcast episode that everyone shot on Death Proof and well, when talking about worst, best directors doing um, worst films. They've probably only heard of like five directors then. I'd say uh, <laughs> I'd say Edgar Wright's doing pretty well for himself so far. Yeah, Edgar Wright, I would say, is probably batting a thousand. Like, especially if you include Spaced. Um, mm, space for sure. Again, yeah, PTA for sure. Yeah, Spielberg and Hitchcock definitely are not batting a thousand. Nope. Spielberg's got a lot of stinkers, but they've also made a lot more movies. That's and true, a lot right? more money. That's I true. Mean, and then I think volume is something we have to take into account. That's here. a good point. I mean, yeah, PTA and Edgar Wright and Tarantino. Edgar Wright's got four. Tarantino has seven. Eight. Yeah, Hateful Fincher Eight will be eight, eight. Seven. Eight. Yeah, Fincher didn't have that many either. Yeah. Panic rooms. Again, maybe it's just because they're. Maybe that also exemplifies their <sighs> style. They're very choosy, methodical, yeah. and they're not just like shitting I mean, crap. Like, Hitchcock's working in a studio system where they're yeah. they're making movies to make movies. Two or three, so. yeah. um, PTA, yeah. PTA, and Tarantino only direct from their own screenplays. Yeah, um, Fincher's very choosy about his screen. Oh, I forgot about Alien Three. Never mind. Fincher's not batting a thousand. Sorry, totally forgot. Argument about also Girl with Dragon Tattoo. Which is, again, still better than most people's thrillers, but it's still a pretty disposable thriller. So, false alarm. Uh, listener, if you can think of a director that's bad at 1,000, let us know. All right. Um, so, what I would recommend for my Elsa's. Um, yeah, we kind of. played a micro game there. Yeah, Sorry. we got carried off. It was a fun game. It was a fun game, guys. It was kind of a fun game. Well, we've already played the game. Weird. Um, 